Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, please. The, the church here at Thessalonica, these are house churches. Uh, Paul, on his second missionary journey, had gone to Thessalonica. It was a port city in Greece. Its population was considered very large for that time period of about 200,000. So that was, that's a very large city in the, that first century. Uh, the, it was a port city, international city. It was a major trade route for both uh, into the Roman Empire and across into Asia Minor down uh, to the Mideast. Uh, this, this was a major city. God and his providence led him to that. One of the things Paul did, as he always did, first, first thing he went to a synagogue and began to teach and, uh, the scriptures. Uh, through that, uh, many Jews ex- accepted Christ, but the largest population were Greeks. And many of them had turned to Judaism, become proselytes of Judaism. And when they heard Paul speak concerning the scriptures, concerning Christ, they also turned to Christ as their own personal Savior. So we had a large contingency of Greeks who came to Christ also. Well, uh, the city fathers, if you want to put it that way, uh, were... And the Judaizers, those who were true to Judaism, were enraged by the throngs of people that were turning to Christ and turning away from idolatry. Again, as a, as a major international city, it was uh, rife with uh, idolatry, idol worship, as well as morality. Those were all issues that we're dealing with at that time, much as we're dealing with today when, in major cities. And so they rose up and caused a... Uh, riot to take place to discredit Paul and to uh, stop as much as possible the revival that was taking place. Well, for, for safety's sake, one of the men that is mentioned specifically here in Acts chapter 17 is a man by the name of Jason. And he seemed to be a leader uh, in, among the believers there in Thessalonica. And he believed that it was necessary for Paul's safety's sake for him to leave. Uh, because he, he was the focal point. He became the lightning rod. Uh, but he, so he did. But as you remember, uh, at this time, Paul had traveling companions of Luke, Silas, and Timothy. Well, Paul went on. We believe that Luke and Silas probably went with him, but he left Timothy behind. Now, like I said, he was, he was there, only there three weeks. That is amazing when you think that in three weeks they actually established a church. Now, I, I personally, I believe that the establishment of that church probably took a little bit longer than that, but that's why Timothy stayed there, to help get these believers uh, continue to focus, keep them in the scriptures, teaching and learning, and provide leadership for them. Well, eventually, Timothy leaves Thessalonica. It's strong enough to stand on its own. He leaves Thessalonica, and he catches up with uh, Paul in, in the city of Corinth, and he gives this report about what's happening in Thessalonica. And so Paul writes this letter, okay? So this letter is written by Paul when he's at Corinth from the report given to Timothy. So the contents of this letter is dealing with some of the issues of what Timothy is reporting to them. One of the things you'll find, uh, several things, <laughs> let me just mention two of them. First of all, every chapter, every chapter in First Thessalonians ends with something to do with the second coming or the coming of Christ. So there's a, what we call, there's an eschatological, there's a last things overtone that continually runs through this book. 
Well, that was one of the issues they were dealing with. What's phenomenal about that is he was only there three weeks. Timothy was there probably for several more weeks. Uh, But they had a grasp. They had an understanding of future events that Paul could even write to them about that, and they knew what he was talking about. The other thing is that there's three significant prayers also in the chapter. They, they themselves are, it could be a study in themselves. Just a big overview of the chapter of the book, you have personal reflections, chapters 1 to 3. In other words, Paul, as he starts off, he says, these are the things I remember, his personal reflections. And then chapters 4 and 5, uh, about uh, practical instruction. Now, it doesn't mean that the first three chapters, there's not practical instruction that takes place there, as as there is. But these are personal reflections as he remembers and as he thinks about the things that Paul has told him. These are reflections, these are remembrances he has. In fact, in verse 2 it says, We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering, verse 3, without ceasing. In other words, we... We, we have been continually praying for you. We've been remembering you. And so when T- Timothy comes and brings this report, this is, this, is like a, this is like a fresh, cold glass of water. It's so refreshing to him to see these believers that, and the progress and stuff, uh, things that they're making. Uh, and, and he's thankful for the evidence of changed lives demonstrated by these believers at Thessalonica. And so that's why I've entitled it, Examine the Evidence. What is the evidence that he brings out here for us to see, to examine, to think about, to look at? Uh, what's the evidence that of changed lives demonstrated by these believers? Which brings me four questions. You can write them down. You can think of them in your head. That's okay. But as we go through this chapter... It's a full chapter. I'm, I'm not going to drag through it. I'm going to move right along. Does your life give evidence of a clear, definitive change? This is a yes or no answer. You can't put maybe or I hope so. Either it does or it doesn't. Number two, what are you passionate about? We're going to see that their lives were energized by different things. What energizes your life? What what? really triggers some real passion in your life. What are you passionate about? Be specific. Number three, if you were following you, where would it lead? Well, I hope it would lead to Christ. No, you can't have, that's not an answer. Either it's leading to Christ or it's not leading to Christ. You you follow me? The fourth one is, who are you serving? Who, who are you serving? And then once you identify who you're serving, I mean, either you're serving Christ or you're serving self, why? In education, now many times in research papers, you have to have a statistical analysis. And in order to have a statistical analysis, you have to have pre-testing and post-testing. And between pre-test and the post-test, you get some information. And so the same questions were asked, the questions are asked in the pre-test, the same questions are asked in the post-test. And between that, the information you get is to see how your answers in the post-test compare to the pre-test questions. Uh, you're all confused about pre and post, but anyway, you have pre-questions, post-questions. I'm going to give you some information. We're going to ask these same questions at the end. 
how will those, after we go through the material, how, are you, how will you answer those same questions to compare to the beginning? And then there's all kinds of formulas they use in education to measure uh, degree of change. We're going to let the Holy Spirit do that for you, measure that degree of change that takes place. Does your life give evidence of clear, definitive change? What are, your passion, what are you passionate about? If you were following you, where would it lead? And who are you serving? And why? Let's look first of all there at verse 3. Uh, their Christian virtue. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, in your Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of your God and Father. In the sight of our God and Father. Uh, virtue is an admirable quality or trait as possessed by a person you might be, admirable quality that you may have, you may be kind. Or you may be one of those individuals that are very thoughtful. You're always willing to serve. Well, that's a virtue. That's an admirable quality. And as he remembers them, they give evidence of changed lives by their, by their Christian virtue. Uh, Galatians chapter 22 and verse 23. We, of course, we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all Christian virtues. These are all admirable qualities. But there are three cardinal, what we call three cardinal virtues, or three primary virtues that are, that are throughout the Scripture. You find them in Colossians, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, here in 1 Thessalonians 5. But there are faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, And now abide faith, hope, and love. First, uh, Colossians 1, verse 4 and 5. Since we heard of your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. But let us who are of the day, believers, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. And again, then, in verse, the verse we're looking at here of the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. First of all, the work of faith. This is, this is not saving faith. This, I believe, is a reference to living faith. You have saving faith in Romans chapter 4, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted on him righteousness. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's saving faith. I believe this, is, this is, has to do with living faith. This is a work of faith. That's why I have a believer's lifespan is energized by faith. This is Hebrews chapter 11. These are the list of individuals throughout that chapter who demonstrated by their lives their faith, living faith. So when he talks to them, he says, I remember this, this is a Christian virtue I remember in your life, is your work of faith. Your lifespan, the way you lived your life, was energized by faith. That it was, it was your passion, your passion was this work of faith, to live consistently by faith. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as the present and the invisible as the seen. Martin Luther, in reference to living faith, said it this way, the true living faith which the Holy Spirit instills into the heart simply cannot be idle. See, living faith, that work of faith, and by the way, this word work is interesting because we're going to talk about labor in a minute. This work is, is, has to do with enjoyable, satisfying. This work of faith. It's not work, the point is saying, it's not work to, live, to have a living faith. It's satisfying. It's enjoyable. 
to have a work of faith, to live your lifespan, be marked by, energized by faith. The passion of faith, the passion of living faith. Live by faith. Second thing is labor of love. The word labor here, now this is toil. This is sweat producing. Uh, it'll cost you something. It's, uh, as they refer to many times, muscle fatigue. It's the point where you, you exercise, you did so many push-ups, you couldn't do any more push-ups. That's muscle fatigue. And in fact, it'll take you a long time sometimes to recover from that. So that labor, that toil, that sweat producing, that muscle fatigue. You are willing to tackle the hard, the difficult activities. It may be emotionally draining, physically draining, spiritually draining. But it's energized by love. There's eros, which is romantic love, or erotic. That's not in the scripture. You never find it in the scriptures. You have phileo, which is brotherly love. And then there's gapi, which is, has sacrificial love, self-giving love. This is the same love in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love towards us. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. He died for us. This is the same love in, in Ephesians Chapter 5, where it says, Husbands, love your wives. Verse 28, Husbands, love your own wives. This is that self-sacrificing love that you are you directed towards a person who is loved or beloved. You give just to give. Love ever gives, forgives, outlives, and ever stands with open hands. For while it lives, it gives, and while it gives, it lives. And this is love's prerogative, to give and give and give. This, this labor of love, even though it is sweat-producing, it's enjoyable because it's energized by the sacrificial love, the same type of love that God sent Christ, whereby God sent Christ to die on the cross for my sins, for your sins. Personal toil, believers energized by sacrificial love. Third virtue is patience of hope. Patience of hope is a combination of endurance and courage, facing obstacles, challenges, trials of life. Just The idea here is just don't quit. Listen, it's if you... If your lifespan is energized by faith, you are going to encounter uh, physical trials, spiritual trials, emotional challenges. That's going to happen. You can count on it. As it says in James, uh, it says when, when trials come. He didn't say if they come. It says when trials come. You are going to face those things. Listen. Stick with it. That patient hope, that patience, that, that endurance and courage. Hope here has to do with the know-so, the confidence, the certainty of the Lord's return. The motivation for the believer to endure with courage is the anticipation of his return itself. A believer's motivation to endure with courage is energized by the anticipation of his return. So he was remembering their Christian virtue. This are, these are things that give evidence of their changed lives. Their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience of hope. Do you have, do you have any or some of these virtues in your own life? If someone again was to write about Faith Bible Church or about the believers at Faith Bible Church, what would they write? If Paul was visiting us today, stayed three weeks and left, then someone went and gave a report to him, how would he respond to what he remembered about Faith Bible Church? And it begins with each individual. Not just the church as a whole, but their Christian virtue. Secondly, the evidence of their changed life 
was by their divine election. Now, we may never completely understand the concept of election, this side of heaven, but we cannot ignore it either. It's taught throughout Scripture. And Paul touches on it here with the Thessalonian believers, their divine election. The tension in divine election is this. You have a tension between God's sovereignty, God planned it, God chose us before the foundation of the world, and man's responsibility. Whosoever will may come. So there's tension there. God choosing, man believing in faith. How do you reconcile that tension? I don't try to reconcile that tension. I just know that this is both taught in Scripture, and we must recognize that fact, and we cannot ignore either one or emphasize one over the other. So when you talk about their divine election, there's, there's three things I, th- I think will help us. Uh, in fact, let me, I wanted to share this with you. Eklage is the word for election. Ecclesia is a church, the word for church. Eklage, to call out. Ecclesia, the called out ones. See, the church are the called out ones, which lends itself to the fact is, uh, uh, that we must have a saved church membership. In other words, they must know Christ as their personal Savior in, in order to be a member of our church. First of all, salvation is initiated by God. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For God, from the beginning, chose you, chose you for salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He, that is God, has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. John chapter 15, verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. So we know that, that salvation itself is initiated by God. It was born in the heart of God long before man was created in the universe form. Do I understand that? All I'm telling you is that's what the Word of God teaches. It took place then. And it's true. It's a fact. This is not fiction. The second thing is, salvation involves God's grace. Well, if he chose us before the foundation of the world, why was it important that grace even had any play in it? Because he's God. And when you can understand God, let me know how it works. But again, it's part of Scripture. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved. 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace gives us what we do not deserve. Did I deserve salvation? Do you deserve salvation? No. You could be the greatest person, the best person, the nicest person, the kindest person, the most gracious person in the world, but if you don't know Christ, your personal Savior, you're still going to die and go to hell. It doesn't matter how good you are, how bad you are. It doesn't matter how religious you are or not religious. You have to come to Christ. It's a gracious act of God which he extends to us the opportunity to put our faith and trust in him, which leads us to the third point. Salvation requires faith. The first two, as we look at those, this is all God. And it's very important you understand that. Salvation is all God. My eternal security does not rest in me. It rests in God. And as I look at election, 
I think the, the important thing to remember about it is this, that, that salvation rests in God. Even though I had to accept it in faith, it still rests in the truth that God sent Christ, that God in grace, that God chose me before the foundations of the world, and yet still he, through the Spirit of God, enabled me to express faith. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. Verse 6 of the first chapter And you have become followers of us and of the Lord having received. That word received is the same word used in Acts chapter uh, 2 verse 41. It says they gladly received the word they gladly received the word and were baptized. That has to do with salvation. They trusted. They received. They expressed faith. In verse 9 of chapter 1, how you turned, that has to do with repentance to God from idols. We know that conversion and repentance are very much part of salvation. Conversion is a change of direction. Repentance is a change of mind. Both of those take place in in the area of salvation itself. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they changed. When When he talks about the evidence of a changed life, he looks at their divine election. The salvation requires faith itself to believe, trust, turn from sin and receive Christ Christ alone. And let me just add one more scripture. 1 John 5.13, familiar to some of you. These things have I written to you who believe. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the, Lord, of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen to me. If you're sitting here this morning and says, man, I just don't know if I'm saved or not. I'm going to say to you, you're probably not. Because 1 John 5.13 says, you can know. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, or if you believe that he is the Son of God, you have salvation. You can know these things. You don't have to wish. You don't have to hope. You don't have to think. Let me just conclude with this illustration. Here's the door of salvation. Here's the door of eternal life. Over the door, on my side, my human side, it says, whosoever will may come. And because I see that message, then I put whosoever, me, I put my name in there. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, even as it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Whosoever will may come. I put my faith in Christ. When I walk through the door... And I look back from God's perspective. And over the door it says, I have chosen you before the foundations of the world. Do you you see that? From God's perspective, I chose you for the foundations of the world. But from man's perspective, all I know is whosoever will may come. That's why Joe went to East Asia. Because you know what? We don't know who's elect and not elect. All we know is we're to share the gospel to give them an opportunity for the Spirit of God to work in their life to bring them to faith, to believe what God already decided. That's the best I can do to try to, try to ease some of the tension there is between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. They're both in Scripture. He chose and man must believe his faith. So he was, he was thankful for their changed lives because of their divine election. Salvation initiated by God 
involves God's grace and salvation requires faith. He, evidence of their changed lives as he was thankful for them was because of their vibrant testimony. Verses 68. Follow along as I read verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. First of all, verse 6, is, verse six 7, and 8 is the external evidence. This is external evidence of your vibrant testimony. Now, a testimony is simply... I'm sharing something that I have seen, I have heard, and I have experienced. You watch court, court trials, and they'll say something like, that's second hand. In other words, you can't give a testimony to what somebody else, you heard somebody else say that they saw. That's, that's, you can't do that. You can only, as a witness, you can only give what you, what you heard, what you saw, and what you experienced. Their vibrant testimony is what they heard, what they saw, and what they experienced. They shared Christ by, by their life and with their lips. And so they, he said, first of all, they became followers. They, they were means to imitate a pattern for conduct. It was visible. The, you've heard of this expression, I came to love my teacher, and then I came to love my teacher's God. They were very, and they're sounding out their testimony. It, it was very vibrant People saw it. People heard it. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse one. Paul says, "Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ." In other words, they became followers of Paul. They became followers of Timothy, who were indeed followers of Christ. They became followers of Christ. Your your testimony. You, you can do not minimize. Do not minimize your testimony. It's consistency. You, you have no idea who, who is looking at you as their walking Bible. They became followers. Also in verse 6, they became examples to be followed. For you followers of us, of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that, verse 7, you became examples to all in Macedonia and Acacia who believe. They became examples to follow. Uh, the, the word here has to do a stamp as a stamp that is minted, uh, uh, a stamp that is put on a minted coin with a sp- specific image. This is, this is a raised seal on a birth certificate. This is a ring that's planted on the wax to seal a document. It's that type of Im- image. It is, it's recognizable. It's not faded. It's not covered over. It's very evident. You can see it. You can feel it. You can hear it. You became examples to follow. What image do you bear? Is it hidden? Is it very recognizable? In verse 8, not only did they become followers and examples, but they also became witnesses there in verse 8. They, it's, this has to do with being a sounding board. A sounding board does not create the sound. A sounding board receives the sound, reinforces the sound, and sends the sound up out. That's why I put there, by their life and with their lips, they gave evidence of a changed life. They resonated the message of Christ that they've already received. And uh, 
the, uh, I read one commentary talked about how it would be like a trumpet blast blown from like this church or blown from a park and that sound of that trumpet would begin to reverberate and as it actually went out it didn't fade it got louder and louder and louder their faith it sounded out it was a sounding board that's the external evidence then there's internal evidence found in verse 9 and 10 verse 9 a change direction you turn to God from idols a definite deliberate personal choice was marked by each each sinner to turn 2 Corinthians 5 17 therefore if any man be in Christ he's a new creation old things are passed away behold all things become new it's evident they change they live for God verse 10 or, or, or verse 9 uh, also a change direction a change desire to serve the living and true God who are you serving to serve here has to do with voluntary complete continuous surrender of my will to his will humility and yieldedness live for God or live for self just two choices on the shelf you can live for God or live for self who are you serving they had a changed direction they had a changed desire and in verse 10 they have a changed destiny to wait for his son the phrase to wait for carries the idea of expectancy and readiness to wait for his son okay so you're waiting for Jesus is this a passive activity no, this has to do with expectation, anticipation, and readiness. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm not just sitting here waiting, I'm looking, and I'm ready. If Jesus walked into the room today, are you ready to meet him face to face? This is one of the things that ought to motivate us in our Christian life towards holiness and towards purity is the fact that you know what, someday you're going to stand in his presence. In fact, let me put it another way. You're already in his presence through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. The things you say, the things you look at, the, 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 the language and communication that you use, the relationships you're building or not building. Hey, he's right with you every moment of every day. So we can say, if he walked in this day, would I be ready? But, I, I, but we, let's take it a step further. Are you walking with him every moment of every day? So if he, if he came because he's already there, would he be proud of you? Paul said, your, your vibrant testimony, that external evidence by their life and with their lips, they gave evidence of change. Internal evidence, there are two choices on the shelf. You can live for God or you can live for self. Which brings us to the post-test. Now how would you answer these questions? Does your life give a clear and definitive and, and evidence of a clear and definitive change. What would Paul write about you? What would he write about me? What are you passionate about? If you were following you, where would it lead? See, there were imitators to be followed. And who are you serving? And why? Maybe I should ask how. Paul wrote this letter, particularly the first chapter, that really focused on the fact the evidence of a changed life was demonstrated by the Christian virtues 
by their divine election, and by their vibrant testimony. May those things mark us. May they mark you. It has about an eyes closed before we sing our closing hymn. If you're here this morning and, and maybe you don't understand, and, and, but you would like to have understand greater, and, uh, I'll certainly have someone with a lady with a lady, a man with a man, sit down and show you from the scriptures how you can know that you are saved or explain salvation to you. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me because uh, I, I'm not saved, but I need to know Christ. I'd like someone to share Christ with me. Is there anyone like that? Secondly, say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me. There's, there's some areas of my life that do not give evidence of my experience on Christ. Is there anyone like that? Yes, others? Yes. Father, we pray now as we go forward, we know that all of us fall short. But also we pray, God, for the clear message of the Scriptures, knowing that the Spirit of God will take and clarify those things to those who may not completely understand what we're speaking of. We pray, Lord, for your guidance. We pray for your conviction. And we pray, Lord, that we ourselves as individuals, uh, that indeed realizing that we have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God within us, that we will be very careful of our behavior and our actions and our words, our relationships. And that you, indeed, Lord, through it all, may be glorified and honored. And that whether we meet you face-to-face ten years from now, or we meet you face-to-face in a minute from now, that we could do it with joy of anticipation and readiness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.